Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I'm glad you're with us today, joining us as we uh, continue to go on our our journey through this book of Revelation, and it is an exciting book. We're starting to get to the the parts of the book where we're going to have to slow down and explain some things because it covers so much. So give me, let me give you the context to where we are. We're in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We're starting a new chapter today. The scene hasn't really changed, but we're in heaven where John's been called up and we're in heaven. And the scene is going to just continue here in the, in the vision but we're going to read this, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, to give us a context. So let me read it for you, and you can follow along if you have a Bible. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God reads, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. This is one of those kinds of passages in the book of Revelation that seems confusing at first. But then as you begin to break it down a little bit at a time, you begin to realize what's happening Well, we're in the same scene that began in chapter 4. The scene initial and the unfolding in chapter 4 will yield judgment that will start in chapter 6. So we're in that in-between chapter, which is chapter 5. And we see God begins to move. He is about to unleash His wrath, about to ignite this period of time on earth known as the tribulation period, which will set up uh, a tremendous time of judgment upon the earth. And so we're... Heaven is getting ready. Now, the earth doesn't know. Earth is not aware of what's going on in heaven. Uh, In fact, I think we're probably very close to that time on earth where we don't really know what's going on in heaven. But uh, we're waiting here on earth for the next event where uh, the rapture of the church will happen. And then after the rapture, uh, we have the scene in heaven, which is chapter 4, that I believe will, will take place. And so as we come back to the throne in verse 1, chapter 5, we pick it up right there where we left off. We see John, he's in this vision, and God who has been seated up to this point tells us back in chapter 4, he is the one sitting on the throne, and it really says all about him in terms of his person. You know, he begins to move. And here in this chapter, we read this, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, or a scroll, literally, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, God, who up to this point is just sitting, you don't really, you don't hear anything. You you, you get the the view that John is just standing there in all of what he's uh, partaking and, and observing here in heaven. It says God up to this point is just sitting in the midst of all of the light and the glory and the flashes and the peals of thunder, the praise that is happening at the end of chapter 4, uh, sitting and he begins to stir. And the first thing God does is to reach out his hand This is what we find in chapter 4. It says, And I saw in his right hand of him who sat on the throne. So he is reaching out his hand. Now that doesn't mean God has a hand. Uh, God is a spirit. This is the description uh, given uh, from a human form so that John can relate to this. But it's an anthropomorphic term. Don't let that word scare you. It's just assigning human characteristics to God. And so... 
He says, I saw it. That is a little phrase. I saw it. It's repeated a number of times. Verse 2, I saw. Verse 6 begins with I saw. And so John is witnessing this. And verse 11, it says, I saw. And so all of this, John is amazed at this. He is still in the same vision and is reportedly exactly, and is reporting exactly what he sees. He is an eyewitness to the future unfolding of God's judgment as he sets out to take back his universe, as God sets out to take back the universe. He says, I saw and, uh, upon the right hand of him who sat upon the throne, the Almighty God, with the outstretched hand. Now, what did he see? He sees a scroll, as it is interpreted in the Greek, or a, 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 a book. And it's translated book here. We don't have scrolls. But in ancient times, they did have scrolls. They didn't have books uh, as we know, books today, uh, the, as it were, bound together is what we know as a book. But prior to the invention of this, they, they had scrolls, and it was usually rolled up from both ends and into the middle, and it was written on the scroll. There was a document. In fact, it tells us something was written on the inside and on the back. See how it says that? On the throne, a book written inside and on the back, and that's describing pretty much a scroll. The scroll would have been possibly out of a papyrus at that time. The scroll was a very curious characteristic. It says it was written on the inside and on the back, and it was sealed up with seven seals. Well, we don't really know at that point what that is. We have some indications of uh, different people along those times would have a testament. They would have like a last will and testament, something uh, which is much more here than this, and they would have it sealed as as a document and have it uh, rolled up together. In other words, it was a very important, once it was sealed multiple times, and this has seven seals, that it couldn't be opened by any unauthorized person to write on the outside of the scroll something that would describe what was in it. So when we see it's written on the outside, it's really just a summary of what's on the actual inside. All kinds of transactions in those days were consummated this way, included marriage contracts, rental agreement, lease agreements, a release of slaves, uh, contracts, or bills, or even bonds. Uh, the Hebrew practice was this indeed. We, we find a couple of uh, hints in the book of Hebrews. So we can safely say that this scroll is some kind of a contract or deed. It's some kind of a statement about ownership in this case. The details are on the inside, unknown to us. Now, a summary of what is on the inside is on the outside. It would be sealed to make it authentic, uh, usually with wax or clay or some kind of a soft metal. Uh, but in order to understand what this is, we, we, we're going to talk just a minute about uh, some examples in the Bible. In fact, if we had time, which we don't, you know if you've been listening to these, we go about 30 minutes. Uh, but there's an example of contract in, in Jeremiah chapter 32 that's a very interesting thing as far as the way documents were sealed and the way they were displayed, and the authenticity of it, uh, which would give the people looking at this clear evidence that this was the authoritative seal, and that what's in it is absolutely true. Uh, Jeremiah was dealing with a land contract. It belonged to Jeremiah, but he wasn't going to possess it. He was going to be driven out of the land. Uh, he was to be rejected. He was to die, but someday his heir would come back in his return, and would have the authority to break the seals and take the land. So that little scroll that he's talking about there in Jeremiah was a title deed to the inheritance of the land. 
And this is similar to what we find in the book of Revelation. And I hope this is not too much for you, but it's, it's, it really gets pretty simple. So if you go to Revelation, uh, here looking at this in, in Revelation chapter 5, you understand that what you have here is similar to a title deed. It is a title deed to the earth. Now I know it's hard for us to understand that. The earth and the universe came under captivity of the fall, the fall of Adam in Genesis 3. But the document that displays who really owns it, God has had all this time in heaven in his possession. He authored it. He has the rightful claim to it. And the, the scroll, or the book, as it were, upturned on the upturned hand of, of Almighty God, seated on the throne, is the official document that grants the created universe to the Lord himself to be reclaimed from Satan and his demons and the men who occupied it during God's absence, as it were. Uh, in other words, Satan is in charge uh, of the earth now. He's uh, the prince of the powers of the air. You remember that I told you that there is a, a praise going on in chapter 4. It goes into chapter 5. Well, the contents of this scroll differ uh, from the usual details that spell out ownership. In, in original contracts in those days, you had to put so much about the owner and uh, pertinent information uh, and a description of the owner. Well, that would be impossible in this case. Uh, to write down, how could you write down an infinite possession uh, of the owner of the earth and the land and the, and the heavens? How could you describe the parameters of an infinite God and his ownership? How could you describe the uh, identity of the heritage of an eternal God? Well, so you, you can't. So the nature of what he owns and this, uh, all this is in this book, but you open this one and you don't have that kind of information. You rather you have how he will take it back to, into his possession, why it is his, but how he will possess it. Uh, in other words, it's not why it's his. He created it. You're taking, he's taking it back, and so we're going to see the unrolling of the scroll that describes here the Lord will take back his possession of the earth. So the scroll, then, that this is talking about in chapter 5, verse 1, contains not descriptions of the earth and the universe, nor descriptions of God himself, but detailed descriptions of judgments, of his attacks, of his wrath, of his vengeance, of his repossession, which is rightfully his. In other words, the scroll contains a full account of how the Lord Jesus Christ, the rightful heir, will take back the earth, which is his. He will act upon it, and it's going to be manifested to the earth as judgment. So this then... <clears throat> is a scroll that is folded together or a book that is combined together that is a book of doom. That's why I'm calling this message a book of doom. So here in the hand of the Almighty, Sovereign, Holy, All-Gracious Lord is the plan. This book is the plan of the, uh, the judgment upon the wicked universe and it brings the whole thing into control of the one who is the rightful heir, the Lord Jesus so that's what this is all about. This is showing it's a, it's a ceremony in heaven. And God is there with a, he's extending in the right hand of him who sat on a book. And then it says in verse 2, an angel is proclaiming that. So here is the hand of God extending this. This little scroll will carry in it the destiny of the unsaved world, the fallen angels, the purging power of God's wrath 
is described, the effects of sin, its disastrous impact upon the universe. We see that. And so we can say the consequences of this scroll's contents are immeasurable and eternal. And that is why it can't be described in such terms, but only in the terms of the actual action which is taken. So what you have then is the official document that determines the climax of human history as God takes back the universe. And here God is. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, he's extending his right hand out with that book that contains all of that. And so it's a very interesting thing. In the hand of God, this scroll, it is sealed. Uh, uh, you can see written on the inside and on the outside. And it's a really interesting thing if we had time to go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1 equates to or equal to Revelation chapter 4. But Ezekiel chapter 2 equates to Revelation chapter 5. So to find a picture of what's happening in Revelation 5, we could go to Ezekiel chapter 2. And in that, you would see that uh, Ezekiel sees the same scroll, except he sees it seals of what is written on the inside and outside, and he exclaims it has lamentations, mournings, and woe. It doesn't spell out anything in detail. It's only a summary but it is sad and frightening summary. So he sees the same thing John sees, but he's not able to know anything more than that. And then you go to Daniel chapter 12, and Daniel sees the same kind of book. In fact, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, conceal the words, seal up the scroll, until the end of time many will go to and fro, and knowledge will be increased. That is a picture of our day. But it's more a picture of the day beyond this day into the time of the tribulation period when that scroll uh, that Daniel sees uh, is going to be made manifest and people are going to be searching. In fact, it says in Daniel chapter 12, 4, there's a picture here, uh, interesting statement that concludes the verse, seal up the book or the scroll until the end and many will go to and fro and knowledge will be increased. In the Old Testament, at knowledge... Uh, shall be increased in, in the picture here of going back and forth. It refers to a movement of a person. That's really the way you could translate that word, is that it's the movement of a person in search of something. And so what Daniel sees and is able to be told by that angel who's speaking to him, someone in the last days, in the time of the tribulation period, is searching and searching and searching. People, a lot of people, are searching most frequently searching for information. They're looking for understanding so that the time of the tribulation, the picture is at the time of the end, people are going to be running around trying to find answers to all that is happening. Well, what's happening? Well, you have the Antichrist who's in power. You have the unfolding of divine judgments. This is all going to be, uh, people are trying to, are going to have a desire to know more they want to know and to understand and to comprehend and grasp all that's happening. So they're going to be moving around trying to find answers. And wonderfully, it says at the end of verse 4, and knowledge will be increased. And I believe that's what, what he's saying there, is that the Spirit of God is saying that through the glorious angel to Daniel, is that many people in that searching mode, fearful, trying to figure out what's going on on this earth, they're going to find answers. Some people are going to find the answers, and I believe there are going to be people at the end times when the judgment begins and that scroll begins to unroll in heaven. 
As people on earth panic, they're going to want to know the truth and they're going to run to find it. Some of them are going to end up in the book of Daniel. And Daniel will be made clear to them. This that we're reading in Daniel chapter 12 is going to become clear. They're going to see it and they're going to realize these are the ones there. It's talking about them in that day. That's why Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 9 says there will be an innumerable number of Gentiles saved. There will be a great time of tribulation. And so in Daniel chapter 12, Again, back to Daniel chapter 12, and I'm not, I don't mean for you to turn there, but Daniel wants to know when is it going to happen? When will the knowledge come? In Daniel chapter 12, verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing on the, the bank along with me, and one of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? So Daniel sees this, and he's wanting to know when is it going to happen? When is this scroll going to be opened up and completed? And the man dressed in linen uh, says to him uh, that he has, it, it's not for him to know. He has the details about his appearance, uh, and, and he is not to know. So Daniel has the same reaction to John in, in Revelation chapter 1. Daniel sees a vision of Christ. Now, he didn't see the vision clearly as John did, but the whole thing scared him, and he fell down to the earth. But here is the image of the one who is holy, in white linen, telling him what's going to happen at the end, and it's the same thing that John sees here in Revelation chapter 5. So it becomes very interesting, very confusing, I know, and it's hard to cover all of this, but that figure in Daniel chapter 12, verses verses actually 1 through 7, is a pre-incarnate Christ. he has the scroll sealed, and he's revealing it to them, and he says, how long is it going to be sealed? This is what Daniel wants to know. If anybody knows, he's going to know. Uh, but he says it's, it's, it's not for him to know. And so it will be for a time and a times, times, a time, times, and half a time. In other words, it's going to be revealed during the tribulation period, the great tribulation period. So it's going to come after the humbling of the people of Israel. In other words, after the second or during the second three and a half years of the tribulation period. You have a tribulation period of seven years. The first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist makes a pact with Israel or an agreement. And in the middle of that seven years, according to Matthew chapter 24, the Antichrist is going to break that agreement. And that is going to be known as the middle of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, or the time of great tribulation. And that's when the full contents of this scroll are going to be unleashed. Seven seals are broken, seven trumpets blow, seven bowls of wrath are poured out upon the earth. And that will come after the holy people have been kicked out of the temple. It's after Satan and the Antichrist have been used to devastate Israel. What does that mean? The devastation becomes their point of salvation. So you're going to see Israel, a lot of people... And Israel saved after the abomination of desolation that takes place in the temple. Now, it's very interesting, and I try not to get too confusing at this point, because we're not going to see that. We're going to be raptured out. So everything that's going to be happening here from five all the way, five is in heaven, but six is on the earth. Everything that's going to be seen 
is going to be seen on earth of the people that are left on the earth after the rapture. Now, I have people tell me, ask me all the time, you think if I'm if if the rapture doesn't take me, this is their question. If I don't get raptured, am I lost for eternity, or can I get saved during the te- the tribulation period? Well, I think as long as you have breath in your in your body, you can be saved. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know who He's going to save and who He's not going to save. But the time of the rapture, every Christian, every true believer. Not just churchgoer, but every true born-again believer will be taken out of the earth. And then many more will be saved after the tribulation starts. And it's when all of these judgments are poured out. This is what Daniel is beginning to understand. And he's understanding this, that during that second three and a part of the tribulation period, the second three and a half years, there's going to be a lot of salvation uh, a lot of salvation from the Jews. That a lot of people are going to be saved. And there's going to be a lot of people panicking, wanting to owe no answers. They're going to be searching the book of Isaiah. Actually, they're going to be looking in the Bible. They're going to be reading Revelation. They're going to find out that, that Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 12 has answers. And so we get into Daniel, I mean, we get into Revelation chapter 5. God holds in his hand now this book. What's it, what's it about? Is it going to be open? Is it about to be open? Yes. This is the book that Daniel, I mean, that Ezekiel saw. This is the same thing Daniel saw. John is going to be the first person to see it opened and witness that, un, uh, that open book and the peeling of the seals and the judgments. He's going to see it from a heaven perspective of what is going to take place on the earth. This little book, then, has to do with the redemption of God's created universe and everything that is in it. It definitely is a book of doom, but it's also a book of redemption. It is the book of the final acts of God. That's all in just verse 1. It is the book concerning the liberation of the universe. It is the book of the judgment of God and on Satan and the, the demons and all the people he's been able to, all the wicked people on earth in the book that tells how the usurper or Satan and the cooperating men and the demons will be judged. It is a book of judgment. It is the book about the casting out of Satan, about the destruction of the dragon, as Revelation 12 talks about it, and the ending of death and sin. It is a book about the redemption of the whole purchased possession of God. That's what this book is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Wow, if that's really what this book is, then God is the rightful heir to it. He's going to come and the scroll is going to be open. And remember now, the inside of the scroll contains how it's going to become God's, not why it belongs to him. That's obvious because he is the creator and the redeemer. He created it, it belongs to him, he redeemed it, and it belongs to Christ. This is why it belongs to him. And so we can see that if all of this is true, then this is a pretty important book. I think John senses that. That's why we have the the following two couple of verses uh, there, because we see it. But look at verse 2. Let's get past verse 1. Verse 1 is full. 
The Bible's full of information about what this book is. So look at verse 2. I saw, a, this Revelation 5, 2. I saw a strong angel uh, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seal? Well, what a book. Well, who is worthy to open such a book? Who has the authority uh, to be able to do this? So it says a strong angel with a loud voice. The word, uh, it, actually there's he's proclaiming, is speaking loudly. So when you add loud to loud, in other words, he's screaming. This angel is shouting out. You know why? Because he wants the voice to penetrate every corner of the universe. And he's asking, who is worthy to come? Who is, the, who has the the ability to be able to do this. Who is qualified to be able to look into this book or to break the seals? Who is the rightful heir to whom this inheritance belongs? But there's more to that. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able. In other words, he's saying, Who can actually throw out Satan? Who can wipe out demon power? Who can destroy sinners? Who can obliterate sin? Who can reverse the curse? The curse on animals, the curse of the planet, the curse on even the human body and the mind. Who can do it? Who has the power to do it? That's what this is asking. Because if we understand the book, and we understand who it would take to be able to do that. It's got to be someone who has all power. And by the way, the strong angel there doesn't tell us who it is. Uh, the name, I will say this, it could be Gabriel. Gabriel, the very word, the very word Gabriel in the original language says, or it means the strength of God. Daniel 8.16 compares, maybe it's, it's Gabriel. Uh, uh, the cry echoes throughout the whole universe, but no man moves, nobody stirs, no angels, no de- nobody says a word when that strong angel proclaims that. It's silent in heaven. Who is worthy, it's asking. Who has the character or the heritage? Who has the, the, the right to possession? Who has the ability and has the power to overthrow? Well, Michael was there, Gabriel was there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... All are there. The, the uh, uh, apostles are there. All are there, but nobody speaks. Verse 3, no one in heaven on earth or under the earth, no demon, nobody is able to say they are able. Nobody. Everywhere in the universe, heaven and earth and under the earth. It's a simple way of simply saying every being in all of creation. A search of the universe physical, a search of the universe spiritual, a search from hell into heaven and all points in between, and no one is able to open it and to look into it. Well, what does that mean? No one is able to examine the contents and execute them. No one has the right or has the power. So John's reaction is found in verse 4. Look at what Revelation chapter 5, verse 4 says. I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. I began to weep greatly. It's just it's the same kind of a phrase that we saw Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. It's an unrestrained emotion. This is the only time that there are tears in heaven. Because heaven, according to Revelation 21, there will be no tears. So why is, is John weeping? Well, W.A. Criswell, uh, and I know several different writers have used this. I know John MacArthur uses it, and several other people talk about John Chris, uh, W.A. Criswell's book. By the way, I went to W.A. Criswell's school. 
represent the, it says this about the tears. It represents the tears of all God's people through the centuries uh, because everyone has always been wanting this. It's, it's what we have been longing for. It's what Romans 8 says. We long for this, uh, for someone to be able to open the book, and no one uh, seems to be able to open it. But yet, as he wept, he's weeping, and it, it's, it's, W.A. Crystal brings this out, that it was not fitting. His weeping was not fitting. It was. It was. Did not need to be weeping, because God is about to act, and what He does, uh, what happens next after verse four, is the reason why they, they shouldn't be weeping. It's a like a premature weeping. We find evidence of of a premature weeping like this where it's not needed in Luke chapter seven. A dead man was uh, coffin, or the, there was a funeral of a dead man, and they're carrying the coffin, and. Uh, Christ stops the funeral, heals the man, and there's a lot of folks coming uh, for the funeral, and God just simply raises him. And But all these people weeping, Jesus gave him back to his mother. In other words, it was an inappropriate time to weep because, they, honestly, they didn't know Christ was going to do that. Had they known Christ was, was going to do that, they wouldn't have been weeping. And so if John had just a little bit more waiting time here to see. He doesn't need to weep because there is an answer actually coming. Uh, and so we see this uh, in the next few verses in chapter uh, 5, verses uh, 5 and following. In fact, just an example of what's coming for next time. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Stop it. You don't need to weep. Man, there's action fixing to happen. You're going to see this. This book, this powerful book of redemption, this book of, of, of a doom, this judgments, all are going to be revealed. You're going to see it happen in lifetime, coming out of, uh, from heaven onto the earth. <coughs> and so that's what John is, is going to see. And so next week, in fact, you've got to tune in next week to see how this begins to happen. Jesus is your tears. Basically, we can say, according to what we read in verses 1 through 4 of Revelation 5, basically, your tears of John are inappropriate because of what I'm about to do. And so, John, because of what Jesus is about to do, is to stop weeping. And you, if you want to know why, you got to come back next time, next week. So, I thank you today. I hope this wasn't confusing. I know it is. Very confusing, but just read chapter 5, and then go back and read Daniel chapter 12, or maybe even Jeremiah chapter 32, and you'll see some illustrations of this. You can also read or look at Ezekiel chapter uh, uh, 2, if you want to, and see the parallel between those. So we're going to get some exciting parts of this book. It's becoming more and more obvious that, man, judgment is about to be displayed upon the earth. In fact, I think we're living in those times. I think what's so exciting to me is that I realize we are so close that it's it's even at the door. What's at the door? The judgment? Well, yes. But even closer than that is the rapture of the church where we will be taken out and then the judgment will begin. And remember, the judgment can't begin until the Antichrist, uh, two things. Well, one, the church has to be taken out. But number two, the Antichrist has to sign a seven-year treaty with Israel. We won't see that signing. I don't, I don't believe we'll see that signing. Uh, 
I believe we will be gone in the rapture before that, but that's what's coming down the, the pike. So stay with me as we continue into Revelation chapter 5, and it is getting better and better and better. I hope you will continue reading. Uh, stay with me. And again, I thank you for joining Hope for the Heart. And Hope for the Heart is meant to encourage your heart. And that's what we're to do with the teaching of the second coming. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, encourage one another with these words. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.